And so before I, I begin the message, I'd just like us all to bow our heads and ask God to touch our hearts as to what he wants us to learn today. Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne, Lord, as we give this message. It's your message inspired by the Holy Spirit, not the message of a man, but the message rather inspired with your finger uh, on, on the Holy Spirit. Father, we bow and we ask you to touch every heart as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, the uh, message that I have to today for you is on the subject of forgiveness and acceptance as exemplified by Jesus Christ. This lies heavy on my heart, especially so in this Christmas season. When you realize that God has put so many different people in our way, in our lives, who maybe not are, are not the kind of people that we would feel comfortable with, uh, and, and people that maybe don't speak the way we do, maybe they're not Christians, maybe they don't have the same worldview that you have, and yet, how did God, how did Jesus Christ act uh, when he came upon those kind of people? What did Jesus do when he saw people that were not within the top of the social uh, register? What did Jesus do when he met people that were reviled, that were re repudiated, uh, that were absolutely on the bottom rung? Did Jesus run them out of town? Did Jesus uh, excommunicate them? Did Jesus despise them? But what did Jesus do? So the question becomes for us, what do we learn from watching how Jesus lived? How can, how, can we, how can we lead our lives based on what Christ has taught us? And so that's the nature of this lesson today, the nature of this lesson, understanding the acceptance and forgiveness as defined by Jesus Christ. Now, the seminal verse that we're going to focus on today is Romans 15, verse 7. And that verse as written by the Apostle Paul, says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. Accept one another. And that, was, that word in the original Greek meant to embrace, to affirm, to love, uh, to do everything possible to make someone feel welcome. And so when you come upon people that are not necessarily people that you would normally hang with, all right, instead of pushing them out, instead of putting up a wall, and I call those kind of walls fortress churches, where we're not interested in bringing people from the outside in, but instead are trying to protect those who are the inside from the influence of those on the outside. That's not how Jesus ran his, his disciples. He didn't do that. And so he, here you're seeing the, the uh, verse from Paul indicating that we need to accept one another. Every single person accept. And so Jesus made it abundantly clear to the world that his message and mission to the world was to embrace, to lift up, to affirm, and to hold up. And so it was a very different message than what the religious elites had. And if you looked at, at uh, Judaism during that period of time, you would see a very different system of operation between the Pharisees and Jesus. Jesus never, ever uh, limited himself to just those people around him. He constantly, constantly embraced those on the lowest rung. And so I could point to many examples, many examples uh, in which Jesus did this. But for today, I want to focus on the example of Levi the tax collector. 
who Jesus saw and, and who Jesus affirmed. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful example. And if you look at the up on the board, you'll see Luke 25, Luke 5, verse 27 to 28. And it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now, you got to love Jesus. All right. Levi, by the way, would become Matthew. All right. He would become Matthew, the apostle, Matthew, the gospel writer. But he was no gospel writer at this point. He was a tax collector. And you have to understand how low on the social rung a tax collector would be. No self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with the tax collectors. They would not because the tax collectors effectively became collaborators with the Romans. The tax collectors were given a franchise by Rome to collect a certain amount of money. And once that money was collected, everything else above that money, everything else above that money they could keep. So it was a license to steal. And so here they are effectively stealing from their fellow Jews. And so they became a despised group of people. Uh, they were considered thieves and collaborators. And so here you see him at his booth. Uh, collecting money, and Jesus walks up to him uh, and says to him, follow me. you got to imagine the power of the words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. This is a guy who's not saved. This is a guy who is not in keeping with all of the things that Jesus wants. He is at that time really a criminal. And yet Jesus says, follow me. Why? Why would Jesus say that to this man who at that point of his life is completely opposite everything Jesus would stand for because Jesus saw what he would become. And that's how it is with us. Jesus sees what we would become. And so not, let us never forget what we were before we were saved. Don't ever forget that. The kind of person that you were, filled with, with yourself, narcissistic in so many ways, so many warts that each of us had, and yet Jesus called us to be with him even at that time. And this is the message of hope for this season. God wants you to act in the same way with the world. God wants you to reach out to these people who are lost and to embrace them, to bring them in. I would love nothing better than to see the first couple rows filled with tax collectors. All right? Filled with tax collectors. Meaning those people who are, who are on the bottom rung of society. I would love that, and I would hope that you would as well, too, because that's what we stand for. We're a church here that's embracing people, not pushing people out, all right? And so this message is not just for you individually. It's a message for the church. It's a message for this church. It's a message for me. Uh, and so you have to understand this. Before Matthew was, was Matthew, he was Levi, he was Levi. Before he was stained glass, he was stained merchandise. All right? That's what he was. And yet Jesus saw him and elevated him and promoted him. And so here he is in this position. And now Jesus sees his potential. And Matthew, however, sees redemption in Jesus. And you have to love that because you see this. He sees the possibility of redemption. And so um, Levi decides, Levi decides to have a banquet in his, in his house in honoring Jesus. And so 
he, uh, he calls all his friends to this banquet. Well, guess what? What kind of friends do you think the tax collector had? That's right. They were all tax collectors. So it was a house filled with the bottom rung of society. And so there they are uh, at his house. And if you look at them uh, up on the screen, you're going to see Luke uh, 5, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Uh, I want you to know, nobody at that banquet was high on the social register. Nobody. Because they wouldn't be. They couldn't be. They wouldn't have anything to do with the tax collectors. And so you see this. They were isolated away from it. And so the Pharisees repudiated the tax collectors. The Pharisees repudiated the people that Jesus hung with. Why? Because the nature of the name Pharisee in Aramaic means separated ones. They had determined that in order to be holy, they had to be separated from the other people. So instead of going out and embracing and loving and bringing people to God, instead they stood there and repudiated. They stood there and separated themselves. Uh, and so in their mind, in their mind, godly people circled up their wagons and do not socialize with those who are on the bottom. And let me ask you a question. How could you do the Great Commission that Jesus has inspired all of us to do if, in fact, you couldn't go out and be with those who are hurting, who are, are on the lower rung, who are outside of the will of God? Are we only to associate with people that are Christians? Is that the nature of who God called us for? I want to tell you this, and this is especially so during this time of year. You need to be conscious of all those people who are hurting. And the reason they're hurting is they're not within the will of God. And so God has called you to be the messenger, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in every way. And so when they saw this party at Levi's house, the, the Pharisees decided to crash it. They repudiated it. It made them sick. And it made them doubly sick that Jesus, this so-called rabbi, would be there associating with them. Uh, and when they came in uh, and, and repudiated Jesus and said to him, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink with these reviled people? Don't you realize that in order to be holy, you have to be separated? Uh, and Jesus gives this incredible answer in Luke uh, verses 31 to 32 in Luke chapter 5. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, Father, what a great message that is to us today as it resonates across the centuries. I have come to take care of the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor. Those who are self-righteous, all right, and self-centered, who think they don't need a doctor and yet are the very ones who need it the most, I'm not coming for them. I repudiate what they are. I'm coming for those who recognize that they're broken uh, and that they're filled with warts uh, and, and that they cannot walk but for the cross of Christ Jesus. That's who I come for. That's who I, who I come to elevate. And this is the ironic thing. The very people who needed Jesus the most were the Pharisees. And yet they did not think that they needed Jesus. And so Matthew and his friends made room for Jesus. And so Jesus made room for them. I mean, there's a message for you today. That's how simple it is. 
they made room for Jesus, and Jesus made room for them. So how does God want us to respond to the Levites of this world? The kind of people that you're going to come across. Do we ignore them? Uh, do we leave the room when they come in? Uh, do we discuss our differences? Do we argue with them? Uh, do we separate ourselves from them? Well, this passage that we started the message with, Romans 15, verse 7, makes it very clear. It says we accept them, we embrace them, we love them, we bring them in, we care for them, we make them a part of what we're doing, we lift them up so they're embraced by the spirit of love. And then we show them that this is exactly how Christ Jesus lived when he walked on this earth. And so this verb accept means more than just tolerate and coexist. It means much more than that. It means to embrace in love and affirm. And so God is speaking to my heart today, and I think he's speaking to your heart too. And it means that we are to welcome these types of folks into our fellowship and into our heart. Uh, it implies that we embrace them with love and kindness. Yes, even if they don't look like you even if they don't dress like you, even if they don't talk like you, even if they don't have the same worldview that, they, that you have, even if, yes, they're not committed Christians. But they need to be loved. They need to be shown exactly how Jesus embraces the lost. And so if you look at how uh, the New Testament speaks to this issue, there's a great passage in uh, Philemon, uh, verse 16, where where Paul speaks uh, to Philemon and tells him how he should treat his slave Onesimus. And so the point was Onesimus fled uh, of Philemon's home. He should have stayed there. And he fled him and he went to Paul. Uh, and it appears that, uh, that Onesimus was a, was a good man. Uh, but yet he had had some kind of falling out with his owner. And so now Paul instructs Philemon, instructs him to go... That, that Onesimus should go back and that Philemon should treat him as if he were Paul. How's that? Treat him as if I came back. Show him the kind of love that you would have if I walked back into your presence. Uh, and so you understand this as, as, as Paul is elevating the word hospitality. And there's several passages in the New Testament where Paul speaks about this. Uh, he talked about it uh, when he was shipwrecked in Malta. He talked about the hospitality of the Maltese when they pulled these men out of the surf and embraced them and gave them food and gave them shelter and gave them clothing. Even though they didn't know who they were, they embraced them in love. Uh, and it's exactly the way Jesus treats us also. It's the very nature of the mission of Christ to this world. Now think about how, how really, think about how Christ found us uh, before we became Christians. Think about that. Reflect back on your character and self-indulgence. How many of us uh, boasted uh, and bragged and exaggerated ourselves and had arrogant attitudes? How many of us? Is it only me? All right. I mean, really, I look back at the way I walked before I really became a Christian, and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm convicted of it. Every day of my life, I'm convicted of it. But it, despite it all, Jesus wrapped his arms around me and loved me, and affirmed me, all right? He didn't care about what I was. He saw what I would be. And that's the message. 
That's the message. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Christ. He sees what you will be. And so he loved us even as we were. You know, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say, look, you guys are a mess. I don't really want to touch you now. Go back home, and when you clean up your act, come back. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, come as you are. Come now. I'll clean you up. I'll change your life. I'll affect this change in a way you never could possibly do yourself. Come, I will clean you up. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if you look on the, on the slides, you're going to see John chapter 1, verse 14. It defines Jesus as exactly how he was when he came to this world. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And underline that, full of grace and truth. Meaning what? Jesus was full of grace, of full of love, and fully embracing and affirming, but he was also full of love and truth. And so understand that, not just grace, but truth in every way. And so if you want to focus on a, on a story in the New Testament that really focuses on this characteristic of Christ, we can look at the, the uh, woman caught in adultery. And it's a fascinating story because, you know, we, from what we understand, theologians tell us that that woman was set up, that she was set up. And so here she is set up, uh, and now she is basically caught red-handed uh, in an adulterous relationship. And so now... Uh, those pious Jews sitting there, most likely led by Pharisees, were sitting there and were taunting Jesus, saying, you know what the word is. You know what the law is, Jesus. You call yourself a Jew. You know that the law demands. The law demands that she be stoned to death. And in that great, that great passage, Jesus takes a stick and scratches the dirt. And we don't really know. We don't really know what Jesus did, what he was writing as he scratched the dirt. But I, I believe in my heart that Jesus most likely was outlining the sins that these men had as they stood around there, as they stood over her with sins. I believe that Jesus was writing in the dirt robbery, uh, embezzlement, all right, hatred, revenge. I believe Jesus was writing that in the dirt as they stood around around this poor woman. And so Jesus then made that very that very famous statement where he said, uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He who is without any warts be the judge. If you sit here and you think that God has called you to be a judge, well, then you throw the first stone. And it says in the, that passage, that the older ones first put down their stones. And I believe the older ones first because the older ones had spent a lifetime committing sins. All right? I believe that's why the older ones left first. And then and they were left. And as time went by, nobody was there. Nobody stood in front of her. Nobody accused her. Nobody condemned her. Because Christ, God himself, had taken those who had condemned her and removed them. Uh, and so here's the thing. Every single one of us deserves to die from sin 
and be separated from God. It is only because of Christ Jesus, the blood of Christ, that each of us has been saved. And so when you begin to be a judge, when you begin to voice an opinion about somebody, that they should be outside of God's will, they should be outside of the church, What are they doing in church? They should be removed from the church. Get on your knees and ask God to touch your heart. Remember what you would be but for the intervention of Christ Jesus. Remember what you would be. Uh, And when you realize that, when you realize that instead you you were dumbstruck. Nobody, nobody could cast the stone at that woman. And then Jesus looked at her with love and mercy. Uh, and, and saw that those that had, had condemned her had left. Uh, and he's, and so there she is coming face to face with faith in Jesus, seeing now the truth of, of love, of love and, and also truth in facing Jesus, despite her public guilt and public shame, shame, caught in sin and yet Jesus loves her. And what does he say? Go and sin no more. You understand? Jesus doesn't just take an eraser and say, it's okay, go ahead, continue on with your life. No, that's, that's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. But truth, truth has to be tied in with grace. And that's what our responsibility is to the world. We balance it. The problem is that so many of us prefer the role of judge. We like that role. We're good at that role, Right? We like that. We like to be the fruit inspector, right? We like to look in people and say, you know, you're, you're, you're not good. You're bad. You're outside the will of God. I mean, that's why, that's why I love when I see the phrase church discipline. Church discipline? Are you kidding me? How about church love? Can I get an amen? How about church love? How about going to a church where instead of shaming and humiliating we affirm and lift up and embrace and love. Really, that's the kind of church I want to be affiliated with. And so Jesus is teaching us how to live. It's not how we would choose to live. We like the role of being a judge. We like separating out people that look different and are not familiar to us. All right. And so we know that God gave his son to save the world. We understand that. We give that verse lip service. Every Christian is familiar with John 3, 16. But how many of us are familiar with with the next verse? John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn. You understand that? Why is it that we're so good at condemning? That we're so good at judging, and yet the the Christ of the universe, the very God himself, the creator of this world, didn't come to condemn, but came to love. Oh, Father, help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to change our characteristics to be the kind of people that you've called us to be, to be filled with love and caring so that we see those that are downtrodden, those that are on the bottom line, those, yes, who are caught in sin. That's right, caught in sin, who are on the curbs of life, to go out and embrace them and bring them in, yes, even bring them to church. Bring them to a place where they will be embraced in love, where they'll be cared for, 
not judged, not, not condemned. And so this becomes important for us to understand this, that this is the very nature of who Jesus is and what he has been called to do. Look, criticizing, judging, or condemning non-Christians for their behavior completely undermines the very purpose and the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It undercuts it. You're ruining it. You're not bringing people to, to the Lord. You're chasing people out. Is that what you want to do? Is that what God has called you to do? God's called you to be a judge. God's called you to be a fruit inspector. If that's what you think, get on your knees because you have grossly misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the role that we have. That'll never be the role of this church, I can assure you. This church will be a church of love and caring and affirmation. This will be a church where we can bring people in of all kinds, wherever they are, wherever they sit. We will bring them in and we will love them and we will care for them. Uh, and, and let's understand that. And so uh, Jesus never excommunicated a single person. Never. Even Judas Iscariot. How about that? Even Judas Iscariot was not excommunicated by Jesus. Why? Because he came not to condemn, but to save. All right? Instead, we get caught up. We get caught up uh, in this philosophy of so-called discipline. Well, forget discipline. Substitute the word love and use Jesus as your guide. Uh, there's a famous verse that we have here that I want to put on, the, on up on the board. And that's Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Why do you look, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Have we done that? Have you done that? Have you said that to somebody? You know, you're, you're, you're out. You're, I don't like the way you're, you're living. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you talk, all right? Meanwhile, there's all kinds of sins coming out of your mouth, all right? There's all kinds of violations in your life, and yet you have decided to worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Meanwhile, there's a plank in your own eye. Listen, folks, this is God talking, all right? God is warning us. God is putting us on notice. Be careful how you act. Act in love and acceptance in so many ways. And so I am not, I am not to separate myself from sinners. I'm rather to welcome them and treat them with love and mercy. This is what Jesus has done with me. Um, despite my sin, which is just as clear as that woman caught in adultery. And don't sit there and say now, oh, well, John, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute, John. This message that you're giving, I'm not at all like that woman caught in adultery. I'm not like that. I'm a good person. Look, I'm here in church. I'm a good person, really. Well, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Have you read what Jesus said about how to calibrate sin? How it's not necessarily the physical sins. It's the mental sins. It's the lust characteristic that, that if you hate in your heart, that's the equivalency of murder. All right. If you have lust in your heart, that's the equivalency of adultery. If you covet in your heart, that's the equivalency of robbery. All right. If you have idols in your heart of all various kinds of things, that's the equivalency of putting another God before God himself. So don't sit there and say, I'm innocent. 
Uh, I'm not like those other people. No, we are exactly like those other people in every way, but for the intervening grace of Christ Jesus. And so we need to understand that. So here's the key. I am to love the sinner, and when the time is right, I am to call the sinner to live a life of obedience to God's commandment. That's the lesson. I am to love the lost. I am to love the sinner. And when the time is right, I am to call them to obedience to God's commandments. Uh, Now, even when the time is right, even when the time is right, and we make that call to discipleship, it is to be given without condemnation. All right? Just as Jesus does with this woman. That is what he's done for you. That's important to understand this. And so we balance this. We balance the graciousness of God with the truth of God. We balance the love of God with the truth of God. Don't sit there. Don't sit there as if God has made you a judge. Sit there instead as if God has called you to love and embrace, to be the hands and feet of Christ Jesus in every way. Look, grace, grace told the adulterous woman, I do not condemn you. Truth told her, go and sin no more. Grace invited a swindler named Zacchaeus to host Jesus for lunch. Truth prompted him to sell half of his possessions and give it to the poor. Grace washed the feet of the disciples. Truth told them, do as I have done to you, to the world. Jesus was gracious enough to meet Nicodemus at night, but he was truthful enough to tell him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If we only offer grace, then we gloss over the truth. If we only offer truth, then we dismiss the joy of grace. Our goal must be to strike a balance between grace and truth as we embrace the lost, as we bring them in, as we affirm them with Christ Jesus in every way. These are some lessons that we need to really appropriate to our life. And I want you to consider some of the things that I'm going to speak to you now as you move forward in a practical application of this lesson. Reserve judgment. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Reserve judgment. Don't prejudge people. And you know what I mean. I'm the king of doing that. All right? God has really had to speak to me about that. Don't make prejudgments. Reserve that. Let every person you meet be a new person. When you meet them, look at them as if they're a blank sheet of paper. Do not have preconceived notions. Next, sit back and really listen to people when they speak to you. Do you do that? Do you listen to people when they speak to you? Or you rather like to talk, all right? Because listening is a healing bomb, a healing bomb for people that are brokenhearted, whose emotions have been torn and ripped apart. Be sympathetic. Show brotherly love. Show compassion. And show humility. I want to look at, I want you to see this slide that we have on 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil or insult with insult. 
on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. All right? Repay hatred with blessing. How can that be, John? How can that be? Yes, it is so. That's how God wants you to live. God wants you to, to bless those who have despised you. Bless those who are speaking ill of you. Uh, and, and, you know, I can say that in my own life, some of the greatest verses that have, that have impacted my life, especially so in these last several months, were the words of Joseph. Were the words of Joseph. As he looked at his brothers, after they were reunited for 17 years, after they had sold them into slavery, sold them into slavery, lied to his father about the fact that he had died. As they had repudiated him in every sense of the world, and there he was, he had gone to prison. All right, as an innocent man. And finally, 17 years later, he sits there as the prime minister of Egypt and his brothers are in front of him. And he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen. You understand that? That speaks to the heart of every one of you in this church. You understand what those words mean. And so that's the point. That's how God wants you to live. He wants you to live that way. That's how he wants you to love. That's how he wants you to put your arms around those who are desperately in need of this. And so it's so, it really is so clear uh, as to how God wants us to live. Look at Romans 14.1. We have a slide on this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable members. What does that mean? It means to hold back your opinion. Do you always have to be the smartest person in the room? All right. Do you always have to be the smartest person in the room? I would say this. Learn to keep your mouth quiet, all right? Especially when you're dealing with these kinds of people. Learn to be quiet. Let, let Jesus touch their heart. Because when we speak, often we chase them out, all right? And so learn to be quiet and, to, and, not, and not to be loud and not to lose people. Remember, people are responsible to God. They're not responsible to you. You got that? They're responsible to God. Uh, and God is able to make them as they should. Look also at Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Who are you? Who are we to judge? Who are we to do that? Uh, and then you see these great words in First Peter chapter 4, as, as everything is tied into a bow, as it's all about love. And we have the screen on this as well. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for giving us the paradigm of how we are to live. Thank you for showing us how this church should operate every day that it's in existence. Thank you, Father, for teaching us to embrace the lost and to love the lost. 
And at the same time, as we do that, as we do that, not only to give the message of love, but to give the message of truth. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask you all to rise. Please stand. And after I do the closing prayer, I'm going to ask that we sing the last verse of Joy to the World, which is absolutely appropriate at this time. Father, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us. I thank you, Father, for these dear people. I thank you for the giving us this church. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit has given us a message today that has ignited our hearts. Let us leave here, Lord, emboldened to follow you in a greater way, to embrace the world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, Father, and not be judgmental, not be angry, but rather to be filled with love and to show the world how they need to live. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.